Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll finish the 6th chapter. Nehemiah 6. Um, this chapter, before I read it, uh, it, it speaks very specifically to me, but not exclusively to me, but I'm just saying that Nehemiah was called by God to lead, and for whatever reason, uh, God called me. Uh, I, I don't understand why. God, you know, there's a lot of people that you could use better. Uh, this person, that person, God said, no, I, I want you to do this. He called Nehemiah to this work. He calls me to my work. He calls you to your work. And uh, in the sixth chapter, the entire attack is on Nehemiah. It's kind of like everything else is removed, and Satan says, I've tried everything else. I'm just going to try and take Nehemiah out. Now, pastors, we, we know there's a bullseye on our back. And I'm not saying that for, oh, feel sorry for me or anything like that. I do appreciate your prayers. I desperately need them. There's godly men that are getting out of the ministry right and left. Right and left. I'm meeting with a pastor later this week. That God's doing a great work. He's getting out of the ministry altogether. Um, God's doing a great work and has continued to. But Nehemiah, uh, that, this sixth chapter is all the enemy says, if I can take him out, I want to take him out. I'll do whatever I can. But what I have thought about this is I've meditated on, did you know that uh, there's a certain amount of your walk that you'll never be able to depend on anybody else for? If you think someone else can live your walk for you, it's not going to ever happen. Nehemiah had to get to the place where he stood. Now, we do need each other. But we, at the end of the day, God says, you're going to have to lean on me and me alone. Right? Yeah. You know that song, In Christ Alone? Uh, I desperately need my wife in my life. And yet, God says, your walk at the end of the day is me and you. One one on one. Nehemiah needed the people in his life. But he had to say, the Lord is my help. There will be times when you won't have other people there to help you. You know that, right? There will be times when the only person you can talk to is Jesus, and you'll find that he's more than enough. Amen? And so as we look at this sixth chapter, God is raising Nehemiah up and pulling him through. And even though he has help, and even though he has people around him that love him, he's going to have to stand by faith. And so we pick it up. Uh, where we left off, uh, let's even read the last little piece of verse 9, where he says, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And we need the strength of God in our hands. Verse 10, afterward, I came to the house of Shem, Eliah, the son of Dealiah, the son of Mehab, well, whatever his name is, uh, Mahanabel. I don't know why they have to have some such fun names back then, but who was a secret informer, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Speaking to Nehemiah directly. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there as I that would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. But he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act in a way, act in that way in sin. See, God doesn't, the enemy doesn't want you just afraid. He wants you to sin. He wants your fear to lead to sin. He goes on. So that they might have cause for an evil report and they might reproach me. May God remember Tobiah and Sambalot. Sometimes I wish I could pray like the Old Testament. God remember them with fire or something like that. You know, but David prayed that way. But you know, we're not called to pray that way in the New Testament. But anyway, may God remember Tobiah and Sambalot according to their works, and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Also in those days, 
the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jehoahanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you strengthen Nehemiah, that you strengthen us. Each person in here, Lord, needs the strength of the Lord. The enemy sends whispers to frighten us. The enemy sends temptations to tempt us. The enemy sends lies to deceive us. The enemy sends heavy times to fatigue us and to wear us down. But, Lord, you're faithful. You've been faithful. Lord, we praise your name for your greatness. and You strengthen each person in here. Lord, I know there's people in here that need your strength this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would come mighty to save and deliver and leave us, Lord, with a strength that could never come from ourselves. And we ask this humbly, but by faith, in the name of Jesus, amen. Isn't that a great finish there? All that was sent, and at the end of it, he says, but in 52 days, we finished. The letters were sent to frighten me. The enemies were sent to deceive me. All of this stuff. And this is a continuation of all the ploys the enemy uses in our life to distract us, to deceive us, to rattle us. You ever feel rattled? Ever just feel rattled and you don't even know why? To take us away from fulfilling God's perfect plan for our lives. The longer I'm saved, I realize that God has set an illuminated path for me to follow. And the enemy in my own flesh will throw out diversions, will throw out threats, will throw out worries and distractions that are meant to impede spiritual progress. And by the way, you'll only see this battle of resistance if you are seeking the will of God and His purposes. If you're not following the Lord and you're seeking to please, uh, you're not seeking to please the Lord, by the way, you'll see far less resistance. Your conscience will not bother you. It'll bother you less and less. And frankly, your life might even become easier by not really following the Lord. But that's a trap, isn't it? That is a trap. The safest place on earth is walking in communion with God. God said that. I believe that. How about you? God said that. I believe it. It's not about avoiding trials. It's not about avoiding resistance. And if we choose the path of least resistance rather than the call and command of Christ in our lives, over time, we won't even recognize spiritual compromise, threats. We won't even recognize our own heart's condition. We won't even see them as compromise or threats. We'll be slowly lulled to sleep, won't we? The enemy will do whatever he can do. But Nehemiah was wide awake. He was standing on that wall. He was fulfilling the will and plan of God. He's in the battle. He's making progress. Are you in the battle? Are you making progress in the battle? Are you looking back and saying, wow, I can't believe how far I've come? Are you seeing lives change, people growing, rubble being rebuilt? He's praying there in verse 9. He and the people have been laboring. He's praising God back in chapter 5, verse 13. They stop and they praise the Lord in chapter 5. He's standing on the promises of God. You know, that, that's not just for kids. That's a kid's song. Standing on the promises of God, right? We have to do that. He and the people, they had trowels in one hand. What did they have in the other? Swords and spears in the other hand. That's a, that's a real picture of our life, isn't it? We've got to work. And we've got to fight the good fight. Their commitment to the mission and the God of the mission was an unmistakable and living witness. Everybody was watching Nehemiah. Everybody was watching the people. Everybody was watching the walls. Their enemies knew what was going on. Satan knew it. Satan knew that they were making progress. By the way, if you're making progress, Satan is aware of it. I'm talking about if you're making spiritual progress. If you're sound asleep, he's quite happy with that. 
If you're running from the battle, he's happy with that too. But if you're making spiritual progress, the enemy is aware of it. And as we looked at last week and continue here in chapter 6, our adversary does not give up easily. Did you know that? Does not give up easily. It's interesting. We all know Satan is destined for eternity in hell. But wouldn't you say he fights tooth and nail to take as many people with him as he possibly can? I mean, if you don't, if you don't think how hard he fights, look at how evil and vile the world is. That should give you an idea of how hard the enemy fights. It's a roaring lion, not just a little kitty cat. Seeking him, we may devour, as we read just a few minutes ago before prayer. Satan knows Nehemiah is all in for the Lord. He knows that. He knows Nehemiah is all in. Does he know you're all in? And he's looking for even the tiniest of cracks to exploit. Is there even a tiny crack I can exploit and kick it wide open? Anything to wedge in his mind to cause doubt. Anything that he can do to cause him to reverse course. Anything he can do to have him stop, delay, go down to the plains of oh no, right? Oh no, don't go there, right? Uh, anything to compromise. Anything to panic. Satan will use it all. The Bible compares Satan in, in that seeking and roaring lion. If you've ever watched any of these documentaries, I think I've watched every lion documentary known to man currently. My wife's like, how can you watch another one of these? I'm like, I don't know. I like athletes, and lions are like the best athlete I've ever seen. They're strong. They're fast. They, they just have this uh, fearlessness. They'll take on mass things that are... Five times their size. But Jesus said, you know, if you, if you understand how Satan works, lions are also very patient. They will patiently stalk for the right opportunity. And Satan will patiently watch your life and stalk for the right opportunity. And they do take the weakest. They might take a big animal, but they'll still take the weakest of those. And they'll look for the any bit of weakness and they pounce on it, and they'll tear it to shreds. And so the enemy will watch and study our lives and look for every weakness, every vulnerability, and, and, and he'll use something small. Just say, just start complaining about this. Just be a little bitter at this person. Just a little bit. You, you deserve to be this bitter against them. So just don't take, don't take it to, don't hate them with a hatred. Just be a little bitter. Just have a little bit of unforgiveness towards them. You deserve it. Satan will get, you because you're a good Christian, and they're not. And so therefore, you, you deserve to kind of do that. He'll look for any little thing, anything that he can sneak in there. Every move of the enemy is calculated. Every move is calculated. By the way, that, if it strikes fear in you, if he's that calculated, well, guess what? He's no match for God. Amen. Every move of God is a million, trillion infinity number more calculated than the enemy. He's counted the number of our days and the hairs of our head. He's got all that in control. But even though our flesh is very weak, and even though we, even if we're serving the Lord, <clears throat> we, we have to know that no matter how much we're serving the Lord, we have an enemy that's stalking and looking to take us down, to knock us out. But we have a trump card, don't we? We have a trump card. Jesus said it this way, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Yeah. The gates of hell are far more powerful than any lion. And Jesus said, but they can't even touch you. They will not prevail against his servants. And Nehemiah knew his God, didn't he? He knew that the threats were big time. He knew that they were actually unsettling, but he knew that his Lord had his back. I love what Jesus said to Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Did you know Jesus has says for each of you here and for me, he says, I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Our Lord and Savior wants to build us in faith that strengthens us, faith that calms us, faith that reassures us, faith that focuses us, because we need focus in our life, faith that helps us finish our mission and our course, your mission, your course, is under the same umbrella of mine, which is what? The kingdom of God. We all are working under the same kingdom of God mission, but you have a little different calling than me. I have a little different calling than you. My wife even has a little different calling than me, even though we're, we're one flesh. My daughters have a different calling. 
Each person, a little bit different, but it's all under the canopy of the kingdom of God. And are you investing in the kind of faith God wants us to have? Is your faith and fortitude growing? Can you say, I really can see if I look back, my faith is growing. In spite of circumstances, you might have worse circumstances now than you've ever had and say, but my faith is stronger. I've found that in the last six years. I've, I've fought battles that someday I might write a book about. I don't think Lifeway needs another book, but that's just my... And, and I, I like buying books there, just don't get me wrong. I just don't feel like I have much to contribute to. I feel like, what could I say that hasn't already been said? However, there are things that you and I will go through that seem worth writing down, at least in our own journals. Because we say, wow, God is doing a work. And maybe, uh, maybe your faith was less before things got hard. And through the hard times, God actually strengthens it. Maybe your faith was growing when you thought you were missing out on things. Ah, I used to have this, but God says, no, I'm growing you. So... There's the other side. Maybe your faith is sliding. You're sliding off course. You've slid back. You've fallen asleep spiritually. But Jesus wants to strengthen us all. He wants to build us all. He wants to finish what he's called us to do. And if you're taking notes, you can see the title of our message today and our time in the Word, Faith That Finishes. God wants us to have a finishing faith. If you're taking notes, let's look at the first thing this morning. Together. It's still morning. Yes, it is. Okay. Let's look at the uh, first one this morning, verses 10 and 11, which I've titled, Know the Word. It's so important that you know the Word of God. When no one else is around, you're going to have to preach the Word of God to yourself. Study to show yourself approved. Memorize Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. I pastor a church, but I pastor myself with the word, because I will have the same kind of doubts and fears and distractions, and I will, the Lord will remind me of scripture. We've talked about this. Jesus in the wilderness, how did he refute the enemy? With the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus, every time he'd run into people, they'd come up with some kind of argument against him. Have you not what? Read. Have you not read? It is written. He would always refer to the scriptures. The word of God is so important in our life. And faith, as it relates to the Word of God, faith is knowing what is true and then following it. It's not enough to know truth, know all the truth you want and not follow it, right? My doctor tells me that in our family, our sugars run high. He says, you're going to have to eat less sugar. That is a true statement. I can either follow it or say, I don't believe you. Give me two Sundays now, right? But I either have to apply it and follow it, or just head knowledge doesn't help us at all. The Scriptures and the Word of God, it gives us truth we can stand on. We don't have to figure things out. Did you know that God has not called you to figure out the world? He's already presented it in the Word of God. We don't have to figure things out. We can just trust the Word of God, apply the Word of God, and here's the best part, benefit from the Word of God. If you were on a boat that was sinking and the Coast Guard arrives, let's say you're out there right now um, and these waves start to rise, 6 feet, 7 feet, 12 feet, all of a sudden they're up to 30-foot waves or something. It capsizes your boat. And as the storm passes, your boat is capsized and now it starts to sink, and all of a sudden the lifeguard, I mean the coast, not the lifeguard, that'd be a great lifeguard if you could pull that off, but uh, <laughs> well, look at this amazing lifeguard, flew, uh, swam 100 miles from Virginia Beach, but anyway, the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard arrives just in time, and you and the other people on the boat, they start throwing out life jackets. That's the first thing to do is just start tossing out life jackets and life preservers. You don't have time at that moment to doubt and ask, I'd like an exclamation. I want to really fully understand how this flotation device works. What's it made of? Where was it made? Who made it? 
How long did it take to make that device? Is it made of marshmallows? You know, anything you can think of. The Coast Guard, you can have confidence in and you can have faith in that what they're going to throw out is certified life-saving flotation devices. You, You have trust in the source, don't you? But the Word of God is a thousand times more sure and more verifiable credibility than the Coast Guard. And so as Nehemiah enters into this well-crafted and stealth operation by the enemy, this secret informer, it says back in verse 10, uh, Shemaliah comes to him and says, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors. For they are coming to kill you. They, not me, they're, they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. His secret informer. We, we're told that uh, he was used by the enemy to try and deceive this well-crafted operation to disrupt the work, ultimately take Nehemiah out of the work. But it's the knowledge of God that serves as a lifeline for a very prompt decision. You know, the more we know the Word, the more we can have prompt answers in our life where we don't have to kind of wrestle with things. The Word of God just settles us and says, no, this is your response. We are to pray without ceasing, no doubt about it. We have to have an active where we talk to God throughout the day. We talk to God all the time. But do you know there are things we don't have to pray about? Did you know that? There are some things we do not have to pray about. Just know the Word of God and obey the Word of God. It works with red lights too, by the way. If, you're, if you travel on the highways out here, you kind of know that a red light means stop. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to pray, Lord, should I stop at red lights? <laughs> I've been praying about this, and they just really get, on, they really get in the way, and uh, they're really in, on my nerves, and I'm usually trying to get somewhere when one goes red. We don't have to stop and pray about things like that. We don't have to stop and pray about being kind. Lord, should I be kind? We've already been told to be kind. God said, why would you pray about that? I've already told... Now, you can ask me to help you be kind, but we already know to be kind, to be courteous. We don't have to pray about whether we should be honest. Lord, should I tell the truth? No, we know. Joseph didn't have, Lord, should I take Potiphar's wife? It's, no one's here. It seems like a great opportunity. I've been single way too long, right? Seems like you, you were offering her up on my behalf or something like that. No, he didn't have to pray about it. Peter, Peter didn't have to pray about, do I take the money from Simon the sorcerer? Because we don't have much money as apostles, and we can really use the money that he's about to give us. No, he said, your money perish with you. He didn't pray about it at all. He just knew the response. And here in Nehemiah... He so far resisted this friendly meeting in the plains of, oh, no. Four times he was invited to leave the work and to talk and negotiate a new solution or a mutual plan. He resisted each time. He said, no. Here's what he knew. God says, build the wall and don't stop till it's finished. Anything outside of that isn't from God. If God told you, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God, Anything that's getting in the way of you seeking first the kingdom of God needs to be reevaluated. He's resisted so far. Then came a threatening letter in verses 6 and 7. We're not going to go back to the last week there, but you can read it on your own. Then came that threatening letter sent directly to Nehemiah. And he held firm. Now is the threat of death and a simple, helpful solution. Here's the simple solution. We can just go into the temple and we can kind of hide out in the temple And the work can stop, but you'll live. You'll survive. And you won't even have to leave the city. And Nehemiah has two immediate thoughts to that proposal. First thought, he says, should a man such as I flee? What does he mean by that? He says, should a person who's been called by God, who's seen the miracles of God, suddenly bail on God? Well, that would apply to all of us too, right? What, what's the miracle that's happened for us? Salvation. 
Should a person who's been saved by grace bail on God when God did not bail on us? No. So we have to hold on tight. What if we're only holding to what feels like a thread? Just keep holding on because God can make a thread like a steel cable. Isn't that great to know? A lot of time, what if the thread looks invisible? Well, God is invisible, so don't worry about that either. But his second thought, more importantly, he said, should I go into the temple, I will not go in. More importantly, going into the temple would violate the word of God. The priesthood alone was allowed into the temple. Nehemiah was called to be a leader, but he was not part of the Levitical priesthood. He was not allowed to go in. It's interesting that God can call us to one specific thing, and then he still puts borders on what he calls us to do, doesn't he? Nehemiah wasn't allowed to go into that. God does not ask his servants to violate his word. If you ever get a thought or someone writes a book or a blog that says, God doesn't care about this anymore, he's changed. No, God doesn't change and ask us now to violate the word of God. He would have been disobeying God if he did what Shem, uh, Shemaliah was uh, suggesting. In 2 Chronicles 26, you know, King Uzziah, he was a leader too. God had made him the king, but he was not a priest. And he went into the temple. Do you know what happened to him? He was immediately struck with leprosy. Uzziah said, well, hey, I'm the spiritual leader of the nation. I'm the king. Of course I'm allowed in the temple. God said, no, you aren't. You are not to usurp the word of God. If we know the word of God, we know our response to things. We know how to respond to things. And again, we'll have an active prayer life, but the word of God is an anchor. It's a backstop to our decision-making in life and how to respond. I'm able to quickly say, you know, if something, someone wants me to do something I know is a compromise, the word of God, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not what the word of God says. Yeah, but so-and-so wrote a wrote a Great book about this. So what? God wrote a better book. Right? Yeah. It's never failed yet. Look at the next thing that Nehemiah exercises here. Know the attacks. Verse 12, and I perceived that God had not sent him at all. Of course he didn't. But the prophecy, uh, that pronounced this prophecy against me, because Tobiah, Samlot had hired him. He was, he was for pay. So many people can be bought. Did you know that? Can you be bought? That's a good question for Americans because we think money solves so many things, but it doesn't, does it? Can you be bought? Nehemiah couldn't be bought. This, this other guy was bought. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and I should act in a way and sin. And they might have a reproach and cause an evil report. Nehemiah's knowledge of God's word his dependence on his word, the application of the word, not only guides his response, but allows him to, to, to detect the enemy's strategies. The Bible says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, right? We can see his strategies. The word is a shield that protects and deflects. But you know what else the word is? It's a light that exposes, right? The word is a shield, true, but it's also a light. Right? I have a smartphone. How about you? It has a light on it that I sometimes really need to use, right? Dark place, can't find my keys, can't find the house key. No matter how many times I think I know exactly where it is, I still sometimes have to do this, can't find it. It has a light on there, but other times it's good for communication. And the Word of God is multi-purpose. It's a bit of a Swiss Army knife. One of its uses is its spotlight, and we can see the attacks for what they are, Satan does his thing, but God says, here's, I'm going to illuminate what he's trying to do. The word of God exposes and reveals. Are you and I able to recognize the strategies of the enemy? The enemy sows discord. If you're having continuous problems with people, when the scripture says we don't fight against flesh and blood, you've taken your eyes off the Lord and you've put them on people. And by the way, you know, you know I'm going to tell you something about people. People will fail you. 
people are you. People will let you down. People will say things. People will do things. But the, the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The longer I'm saved, the more I realize even when people fail me or maybe say something they shouldn't have said or step on toes or whatever, well, first of all, I realize that I've done all of these things and I'm as guilty as anybody else in life. But the second thing about all that is it's the enemy's way of driving a wedge and distracting and disturbing. And if we're going to take new steps of faith and service, the enemy is going to always try and stop it, isn't he? He'll use whatever he can. Whether it's fears, whether it's doubt, whether it's insecurities, if we're listening to the lies, if we're listening to our flesh, then we're falling into the traps of the enemy rather than trusting in the faithfulness of God and in the word of God and in the love of God. If our passion is to serve and walk with the Lord and if our passion has started to fade, if we all of a sudden decide, you know what, I used to have this passion to walk with Jesus this desire to walk close to him. If that starts to fade, fade and we decide we'd rather just have a little slice of Christian ease, just a little slice, I'll just take a little slice, I can, I can exercise that on Sundays, I can let people know once in a blue moon uh, that I follow the Lord, just a little slice is all I need, then we've been deceived into thinking this world is our home. We've been totally deceived in thinking this. Nehemiah did not think this world was his home. He knew he had a job to do to get him to his permanent home. It's our mission field, this world, not our home. Well, I don't live in India. Well, you got one here. This is, a, this is not our home. It's our mission field. The enemy isn't at all intimidated in any way by lukewarm living, which is what this guy was trying to get Nehemiah to become. Just compromise. Just use the temple for a retreat and an escape. You don't, you've been fighting way too hard for God. Just you deserve to no longer fight like that. You deserve a nice, quiet place. And this is where I found, I've been hired by Sam Blott. They've taken good care of me. We'll take good care of you too. You know, the enemy does want to take good care of us, doesn't he? Yeah, in quotations, right? He'd like to take care of us all right. The enemy, he may direct you to a book or a blog that tells you that God just wants you happy. You know, there's out there, all God wants is for you to be happy. It's not true. God wants you holy. Did you know that? By the way, when you're holy, you'll become happy. But you won't be happy seeking happy. You'd only find happy seeking holy. He wants you walking by faith. He wants you living the life of the Spirit. He wants the Spirit flowing through you. Sadly, many Americans now have a theology that if it makes their life easier, and I'm talking about Christians and churches, many Christian churches have a theology that if it makes life easier, if it puts more money in your pocket, if it gives you more stuff, if it avoids any inconvenience, that it must be from God because this is called blessing. Blessing. That's the blessed life. That's not what Jesus talked about. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Nehemiah left a lot of stuff to do this work, not the other way around. Nehemiah wasn't looking for an easy escape route, not when he started the mission and not here when he proposed to jump into the temple room. He's looking instead to please the Lord. Not his will, but God's will. Alan Redpath, in describing the intent of Shemaliah's proposal, said this. This is what Alan Redpath said about this very text, about this proposal to Nehemiah to say, hey, just come in, into the temple, all your threats will be gone, you'll be safe, you don't have to worry about this anymore. He, this is what Alan Redpath writes. He said, he seeks to persuade Nehemiah into an easygoing, compromising religion that will shrink 
or will shirk persecution that will carry no cross and that is governed by fear and the opinions of other people. And that's true. Satan's like, I just want you to be afraid of people, find a more comfortable life, and a religion that won't rock the boat, and everything will be okay. And by the way, Satan will back off people when they back away from God because it's, all right, now I've got you. Shemaliah used on Nehemiah a strategy that he knew would work on himself. See, Shemaliah was a bought man, so he thought everyone else could be a bought man. Isn't that interesting that other people think? When they run into a real Holy Spirit-filled Christian, they're shocked that you won't be bought like them. What do you mean you'd rather go to a prayer meeting than sandals? Right? What do you mean you'd rather live for Jesus than all this other stuff? You poor people. Oh, may God make us people so committed to Christ and so filled with his love and so filled with his joy and so filled with his confidence and so filled with his wisdom that we can't be blinded, bought, or bullied by this world and by Satan and our own flesh. We, we need that kind of faith. Nehemiah had that kind of faith. He inspires me. I don't know about you, but he inspires me. I was like, that is a man that knows his God. But he also knows the attacks. He knows the attacks. As I mentioned, um, I know good men, men that are not in sin, men that are faithful, used in great ways, that are just getting out of the ministry because it's just too much. It's just too much. They're worn out. They're overwhelmed. They're wiped out. Rather than being refreshed and built up, and I think God is bigger than all that stuff. What about you? I think God can take us through storms, above storms, ride them out. And Peter said at the end, he said, after you've suffered a little while, God will strengthen you. Your brother and sister, if you're going through something, you're way closer to your, to your deliverance and victory than you think you are. Satan tells you you're miles away. You're not. You're closer than you think. You just hang on tight and just keep praying. Notice that this attack uh, comes directly to Nehemiah. If the enemy gets him to stop, if he gets him to run, if he gets him to become self-focused rather than his eyes Lord, then everyone else is going to stop too. And the verse 13, this reason he was hired is for this reproach, this evil report, uh, the attacks of Satan, whether they be trials, whether they be temptations, they're always to turn us to ourselves rather than turn us to God. Satan wants you to look inward. He wants you to be self-focused constantly, self-absorbed. God says, stop being self-absorbed and being Savior-absorbed. Savior-absorbed. Absorb your... Uh, fix them upon Jesus and the cross. The more we know the Word of God, as we're walking with God in the power and relationship with the Holy Spirit, the more quickly and effectively we'll discern an attack or a temptation versus an opportunity and a blessing. There are things that have come my way that I have known. That's not from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I told you, you know, in the last six years, I've had recruiters call me. Hey, would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? Like to make more money? I, I, your call's from Satan. Bye. <laughs> phone, phone call on line one, Satan. Phone call on line two is the Lord. What are you doing? I want you to go and build people up in the faith. All right. I know which is which. Right? Some are temptations, some are deceptions, some are self-pity. God doesn't want you living in self-pity, doesn't want you living in anger, doesn't want you living in bitterness, doesn't want you living in lust, doesn't want you living in all these different things. And if those things are permeating, we say, Lord, we're picking up the wrong phone. Say, Lord, what did you say in your word? What do you want me to focus on? Say, I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this world will grow strangely what? Dim. When, when the sun rises, all lesser lights go out, right? The more Jesus shines in your heart, the more you see the enemy for what it is, but you also see the things that would actually stumble us. Uh, you, don't give, you don't give the same credence to every voice. God says, uh, no, no, that voice is not from you. Shemaliah, I didn't send him. He said, I perceive that the Lord didn't send him. Be humble enough to take counsel. I take counsel. I have mentors in my life. We, you know, you're going to hear in a few weeks from some of the pastors that are that are uh, in my life. I take feedback from people. 
I, I need feedback. I need collaboration. Be wise enough to take counsel, but also sometimes the words spoken to you are meant to derail and discourage you. You got to let those bounce off. You got to let them just bounce off. Pray, did you know not everyone that comes to you is sent by God? You say, boy, do I know that, right? Not everyone sent to you is sent by God. Some people are sent by the enemy just to knock you off court, just to discourage you, just to ruin your week, just to frustrate you, just to anger you. And you can say, no, 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 I'm not buying this. I'm not buying this. I'm going to stop and pray for them instead. But I'm not going to listen to what they're telling me to do. Pray for them, ask God to open their eyes, thwart their plan. You know, he does, Nehemiah, may God remember Tobiah. That's not a blessing prayer, by the way. May God remember Tobiah and Sambalot and, you know, all these things, who have tried to make me afraid, the prophetess he mentions here. Last thing we want to look at, running out of time. Know your God and know victory. You don't want to just know the word, you got to apply the word. You don't want to just know the attacks, you got to resist the attack. But if we do those things and we know our God, we get to know victory with a, a big capital V, right? D-days bring V-days, right? But you've got to fight through these things to get to victory. I absolutely love verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days, and I think, again, it's symbolic, at least for me, of, of a full year, 52 weeks. We've talked, what, what can God do in 52? What can he do in one year of your life? What can he finish that the enemy wants to stop? What can God finish in your life? And it happened. When all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw it, they were disheartened. They were trying to dishearten Nehemiah, and guess who's on the disheartened end of the stick now? The very people that were trying to dishearten him finished. They even said, end of the verse, for they perceived that this work was done by God. You know the lost world, they might mock, they might kind of pity you, but at the end of the day, they'll say, God's doing it. God's got that person. I've had unsaved people that I thought for sure couldn't stand me out of the blue say, will you pray for me? That I thought for sure wouldn't, I wouldn't have no impact, say, I've been watching you on YouTube. Things like that, literally. Because the word of God and the witness of God is unmistakable. Don't, the world is really, remember, all the things they're doing is trying to create their own heaven, trying to create their own peace, trying to create their own joy. And since they know it's not working, they will act, they'll put on this front like it is working when it's not working, and they'll tell you it is working when they, in the back of their mind, they're like, everything I'm doing is not working, but I'm going to keep watching this person to see if their faith is real. And when you finally finish something, they might come to Christ. Amen. They might actually say, your life, I've been watching it for five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years. Could be a family member. Say, we've been watching from a distance. Tell us more. Amen. The people were watching. Nehemiah left a safe place because he had a love for God. He had a safer place back in Persia. He had a heart for the hurting and broken. He went into enemy territory solely by faith. He resisted wave after wave after wave of ridicule, mockery, doubts, fears, intimidation. You say, well, I don't, I don't think Nehemiah went through as much as I'm going through. Really? Well, when you get to heaven, you can talk to him about it, right? You can kind of tell him. Say, tell me what it was like to actually be threatened on a daily basis to die. He went through wave and wave of doubts and temptations, deceptions, insults infighting. You know, the people didn't get along at times, and he had, to, he had to work that out. Intimidation. And all of this, he sees victory. I was reminded by Pastor Lewis Neely. He's pastor of Warehouse Ministries out in Northern California. And he said to us at the Senior Pastors Conference, I think it was this year, he said, I want you men so filled with the Holy Spirit and so filled with the confidence of God that you go pick a fight with the devil. <laughs> that's a little Pentecostal here, people. You know, that's... Uh, you know, um, Lewis is a little Pentecostal anyway, and I kind of like it um, because sometimes, sometimes there's a Pentecostal gets a bad connotation. I hate some of the labels that we have labeled things because Pentecostal, we are Pentecostal in the sense that we believe in the full work of all of the Holy Spirit. And 
We need enough confidence in the Lord that we're like David, say, give me a couple of stones. That's all I need. I need a semi-automatic. No, David, I don't need that. Just give me a couple of stones. I don't need a tank and a panzer and this, that, and the other. Just a couple of stones. These are the kind of passages that make you want to take on an army by yourself if you know that God has your back. By yourself if you know that God has your back. Again, that stirred David. David's like, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. Let me at this Philistine, right? He knew, he knew the enemy had no chance. And Nehemiah knew if I stick with it, the enemy has no chance. Jesus said, just give me a few fish and loaves. Did you know God does not need millions and millions of dollars to accomplish the work of God? No. He can feed a multitude because they're hand-fed by the hands of Jesus. And the less we bring to the table, the more the world will notice. The less we bring to the table, the more the world will notice. The world, I don't think the world is impressed by some of the mega things that we try and do as a church. They're impressed by the little widows. It's faith is like a little mite, but it's mighty. Pastor David Guzik said, a false prophet offered Nehemiah an easy way out, but it was a way of fear and disobedience, and Nehemiah would have none of it. Jesus was also offered a way out of the cross from Satan. Just worship Satan, he said, and all the kingdoms of the world will be delivered, but Jesus would have none of it. Are you willing to have none of all the enemies attacking? I'm having none of it. I'm not buying it. I'm relying and resisting on God. Anything that isn't from God, I will resist. But if it is from God, it will bring victory. And it will bring a fresh work of God and a fresh relationship with God. I've known God since 1995, and yet I want to know him more in 2018 and 2019. How about you? Amen. Nehemiah wanted to get closer to God. Yes, the world will have its pleasures. The world will have its plans. The world will have its relationships. I don't have time to even get into verse 17 and 18, but there was these relationships that were part of the Jewish priesthood and all of these relationships that they tried to manipulate. Let the world do its manipulation. We have a God that rises above all those things. The world will have its gravitational pull. It'll have its fear tactics. It'll have its schemes. Uh, and the enemy will do everything to try and stop and try and compromise us. But if our faith is genuine, if our faith is genuine, and at times I said it might hang by a string, but if our faith is genuine, guess what? We'll finish. Paul said, I've run my race. I've finished my course. There's now laid up for me a crown. We won't fold. We won't give up. We won't give in. We won't become bitter. We won't become cynical. We won't go back to our former life. We won't be unforgiving. We won't be hard-hearted. We won't be resistant. We won't be unteachable. All of these things, Lord, Lord, say, you will become refreshed again and again and again and again. And you'll finish this course and this course and this course and finally the ultimate course. Amen? Amen. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll eventually hear this finishing word. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we just bow before you because we know you're a finishing God. And Lord, you desire to give us a faith that finishes. And we don't even know what course we're to finish right now sometimes, but we know that the simple thing you've already given us is to obey your word, to walk in your spirit, to see the attacks and to resist them, to draw nearer to you and to be refreshed. And Lord, we know that you are faithful even when we are faithless. And Lord, we know that you can give us the strength to say no to all the distractions, all the temptations, all of the things that the enemy would sow in our own hearts or come from within or without. You've given us a shield and a sword. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And thank you, Lord, that even when we've fallen and scraped our knees, you lift us back up. And you help us to get back on course. And I pray, Lord, that here this morning, uh, each and every person that's here, if at any time, even this past week, maybe it's recently, maybe uh, they've been 
fading from you or, or thrown in the towel. I pray that, Lord, today we recommit to putting you first and having none of the enemy's lies in our life. Before we close and worship, if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord is their Savior, I mean, you saw Xavier's testimony. The first and greatest lie the enemy wants you to believe is just you don't need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can do art, just be a good person. As long as you do the right stuff, you're a good citizen, you're going to be fine. That's not true. You need the saving blood of Jesus. If anyone here doesn't know Christ, their Lord and Savior, why don't you stand right now and we want to pray with you and, and God wants to give you eternal life. That's, that's first and foremost above everything else. Anyone at all? I don't want to take for granted. Again, this is a message. Again, the last two weeks have been a message to believers because we have, a, we have a race to run. We have a fight to fight. We have walls to build. We have lives to impact. And the enemy wants to take us out because he doesn't want more Xavier's. He doesn't want more of you that came to Christ. But if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, stand right now. God's calling you by name. I don't know if there's anyone, but I do know that God is not willing that any should perish at all, any at all. If you're here and you say, I'm not, I've been saved, but the Lord knows I've gotten sidetracked. I've gotten beaten down, whatever it is. With your heads bowed, if that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with anyone that says, I've gotten beaten down, I've gotten sidetracked, I've gotten deceived. taken out of the game. I've been looking for the path of, path of least resistance. I'm in bitterness. Whatever it is, God knows. You don't need, you know, say, well, I don't need to raise my hand for you because God knows. That's true. But there's also, um, there's also a spiritual principle that when we're just humble enough and honest enough to say, I really need help and I need the prayers of God's people too. He'll, he'll honor that. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with this, this group of people that thank you for your, your humility. God will bless it. I'm telling you, God will bless it. He loves my people who humble themselves. Them. Them. Man, if you want the blessing of the end of 1 Peter 5, just humble yourself before the Lord. And it, it is not worth holding on to anything else. Not worth it. Check our pride at the door. Lord, I just thank you for these hands that are raised. Lord, you know what they're raising their hand. What, what's got them sidetracked? What has gotten them defeated? Maybe they're in fear. Maybe they uh, have some bitterness. Maybe, uh, Lord, they've just been greatly disappointed. Maybe they're hurt. Maybe they're just tired of fighting the good fight. I, I pray, Lord, that you would re-strengthen them by your spirit. Breathe afresh and anew your forgiveness, your power, your love, and your strength. And Lord, for all of us in here, we want to finish, and we want to finish strong. And we can only do that by your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.